0: Mike, this week marks the 35th anniversary of the Space Shuttle Challenger's last mission, STS-51-L.
1: This mission ended after just 72 seconds when the Space Shuttle stack was consumed by a fireball with debris raining down from the sky.
0: For many, it was a seminal moment, as among the deceased was a schoolteacher selected by NASA to be the first regular American citizen in space. Also, you were born on that day, so happy birthday, I guess. I don't love that I'm turning 35, to be perfectly honest.
1: Let's just stick to the topic before you start going down that rabbit hole. Wait, what are we talking about? I'm so confused. Indeed. This flight was the 25th Space Shuttle mission. The program had been pitched as a way to take multiple flights a month to low Earth orbit, but NASA quickly discovered that the time it took to rehab the orbiter after each flight would make that impossible.
0: That said, by the mid-1980s, much of the public... And Congress, who pay the bills, found the shuttle to be a bit boring. As this was years before the start of the International Space Station, what NASA could actually do with such a vehicle was a bit limited.
1: So to help this, Ronald Reagan announced the Teacher in Space program in 1984, just three years after the first shuttle launched. The program would take applications from teachers from around the country and pick some to become payload specialists on shuttle missions who would teach from space and inspire students. It's
0: a good idea. I mean, you could see. Yeah, it's a great idea. Yeah, it's really cool. Some 11,000 teachers applied, and eventually the field was narrowed to just 10, with Krista McCullough being named the first teacher in space in 1985, less than a year before the mission was scheduled to launch.
1: Let's fast forward to the day of the launch. After several delays, it appeared that Challenger would launch on January 28, 1986. That morning was an unusual one at Kennedy Space Center, as the temperature dropped well below freezing the night before. This left ice hanging all over the launch tower, making every surface slippery.
0: There was concern about falling ice striking and damaging the shuttle's fragile thermal tiles, which were designed to protect the orbiter when it re-entered the Earth's atmosphere. So work began to clear as much of it as possible, but the ice wasn't the only concern for engineers. To explain this, we're going to have to talk a little bit
1: about how the Space Shuttle stack was designed. So you have the white orbiter, complete with its huge wings and landing gear. This is the thing you think of when you think of Space Shuttle. Mm -hmm. This was the only part of the vehicle set to go to space and return. The large orange structure it was bolted to was the external fuel tank. This held both liquid hydrogen and liquid oxygen to fuel the three engines at the tail of the space shuttle
0: itself. The two tall white structures on the sides of the tank were the solid rocket boosters, or SRBs. These, as the name implies, are filled with solid fuel, and get this, once they're ignited, you can't turn them off. Like, they just burn through all their fuel on their own. Hmm. SRBs are constructed in stacked segments with large gaskets or O-rings placed in the joints between the segments to ensure a good seal. This is important to keep hot rocket exhaust from blowing out the side of the structure.
1: I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. If they were to abort a launch, I guess it's you can't if the SRBs are lit, right?
0: So the shuttle could detach from the fuel tank and the SRBs, and then the uh, range officer could basically blow the SRBs up. They had a a destruct mechanism in them. Okay. But as as we're going to talk about later, from the orbiter itself, the only way to abort was to land the orbiter. If the orbiter was damaged or began to break up, as is the case with Challenger, there was really no way for the astronauts to escape the orbiter itself. So there was kind of an escape plan, but not a great one.
1: So those O-rings that Stephen mentioned, they were made to be pliable as the SRB would heat up and expand when lit, so there had to be some give. Engineers had found evidence that some exhaust gases has burned into the O-rings on previous flights, the worst damage being noted a year before in 1985.
0: Some worried that the cold temperatures would make these O-rings less pliable and more likely to this erosion, endangering the lives of the crew. However, engineers' concerns were not heeded, and under enormous pressure to launch, NASA let Challenger's countdown continue as expected. And will pick up there after the break. This
1: episode of Ungenius is brought to you by Inside the Breakthrough, a new history of science podcast full of did-you-know stuff, like... Did you know that Marie Curie wasn't French? She was Polish, and her father was part of the resistance against the Russians that ruled Poland back then, and he taught her physics in secret in the basement of their house. Inside the Breakthrough explores the idea of a Eureka moment. It's historical wisdom mixed with modern insight. Think of it as a history and science show, but some comedy thrown in there too. And it's hosted by Dan Riskin. He's no stranger to comedy. He's appeared on many late shows like Craig Ferguson's Late Late Show. If you're intrigued by science and discovery, or maybe just want to have some new fun stuff to talk about over dinner and press your friends, this is the show for you. Maybe you want to know, can you prevent polio by cleaning sheets? Who brought the first elephant to England? Does snake oil actually contain snakes was ignaz Semmelweis a genius or a fool on the surface this show is a collection of fun entertaining and surprising stories in the history of science and dan reskin digs deeper and connects those old stories to what modern day medical researchers are facing i listened to an episode uh, on a story of alexander fleming's discovery of penicillin and how it highlights how these eureka moments actually take tons of work even though they appear to happen all of a sudden i found it really interesting to hear the stories of how these big problems are solved i liked hearing people's thought processes and dan says on the show that they make science come to life and i really agree search for inside the breakthrough anywhere you listen to podcasts we will include a link in the show notes too a thanks to inside the breakthrough for their support of this show and all of relay fm
0: you know i'm crazy allergic to penicillin didn't know that it's a shame for you it's really helpful if i ever have an affection and we're together don't jab me with penicillin, please.
1: I don't carry any around, but I'll make sure not to. That's good. (laughs) Thank you. All right, so let's get back to it. At first, everything appeared to be going well with the Challenger launch. It wasn't until later that it would be discovered that a camera had caught a large plume of gray smoke emitting from the right solid rocket booster just moments after ignition. Then, a little over 30 seconds into the flight, a plume of hot gases was spotted coming from that same SRB. After a few seconds, this erupted into flames.
0: Just over a minute into flight, this trail of fire and hot gases had breached the external fuel tank, and at 72 seconds, the stack started breaking up as the contents of the external fuel tank were... They didn't really explode, but they were engulfed in flame. The last statement captured by the crew cabin recorder came right before this fireball when pilot Michael J. Smith said, "Uh uh-oh.
1: I hate that. Me too. You kind of, not in a disrespectful way, but you kind of... Wish they would have said nothing.
0: Yeah, I think for some amount of time, they knew what was happening.
1: Yeah, I don't like it. it really makes me very upset. Uh, As the structures holding the SRB external tank and orbiter began to rapidly fail, the shuttle was subjected to an estimated 20G of force and was shredded into countless pieces of debris that would rain from the sky into the Atlantic Ocean. As the SRBs were the strongest part of the entire stack, they continued to burn and fly erratically before being remotely ordered destroyed by the range safety officer some 110 seconds after launch.
0: We talked a few minutes ago about a crew being able to escape from a space shuttle in such a situation as this. They were all uh, seated and strapped into the crew compartment, which was a reinforced section of the orbiter. And even as the structure around it was destroyed, the crew compartment was actually spotted later in camera footage appearing to be intact as it plunged toward the ocean from its maximum height of 65,000 feet.
1: There is actually evidence that the crew would have survived the breakup of the Challenger as three of the four recovered emergency air packs have been activated and used, which is not something that could have been done due to the accident. It's unknown how long the crew remained conscious or if they were even aware of what was happening.
0: Heartbreakingly, at this point, things just were not survivable, and the crew cabin hit the surface of the ocean at a fatal 200g. The crew, Francis R. Scobie was the commander, Michael J. Smith, the pilot, Ronald McNair was a mission specialist, as was Ellison Anzuka, Judith Resnick, Gregory Jarvis, and of course Krista McCullough were all payload specialists. They all lost their lives.
1: Immediately, NASA launched an investigation into what happened. Reagan postponed the State of the Union and instead addressed the nation, which was in shock, as many had tuned in to see McCullough fly into space. The launch had been watched on television in countless schools across the country, right? She was a school teacher, so kids watched it in school. Terrible. Three days later, 10,000 people attended a public memorial for the crew at Johnson Space Center in Houston, which serves as the training facility for astronauts.
0: The Department of Defense, the U.S. Coast Guard, and NASA all recovered debris from the ocean over an area of 486 square nautical miles. On March 7th, the crew cabin and remains of all seven crew members was found, but no specific cause of death could be determined.
1: By later in the spring, evidence was pointing to the right SRB being the cause of the accident, confirming the fears of engineers who raised concerns about the cold weather launch.
0: And if you read deeper into this, those engineers who raised that knew from the start that this is what had happened, that their worst fears had been realized. But in this investigation... Basically, you, you try to rebuild as much as you can from the debris. Look at all the video cameras. It takes time to, to sort it out. Mm-hmm. The investigation was carried out by the Rogers Commission, which was put together by the White House. And it was made up of people both inside and critically outside of NASA. You want people independent of the agency looking at this as well. And asking
1: questions, right? Exactly. Why does this do this? Why do you do it that way? That kind of stuff.
0: Yes. Beyond the O-ring failure, the commission's report put the blame for the accident at the feet of program managers, both with the NASA and its contractors, who had been told about the safety issue but decided to fly anyway.
1: There's this famous story about theoretical physicist Richard Feynman, who served on the commission despite undergoing cancer treatment at the time. During a televised hearing, Feynman demonstrated how the O-rings became less resilient at ice-cold temperatures by immersing a sample of the material in a glass of ice water and breaking it in his hands.
0: That really simple demonstration was the moment that the public understood what had happened, and the fallout from it was widespread, The shuttle program was grounded for almost three years during this time frame. The SRBs were redesigned, and safety, technical, and even managerial reviews were all overhauled throughout NASA and its partners.
1: The families of the Lost Crew members have opened 41 Challenger Centers for Space Science Education around the world, offering hands-on exploration and learning opportunities to students, much in the spirit of the Teacher in Space program.
0: I love that. That's really cool.
1: That's the legacy of it. Mm -hmm.
0: The astronauts' names are among those of several other astronauts and cosmonauts who have died in the line of duty. They're all listed on the Space Mirror Memorial at the Kennedy Space Center Visitor Complex in Florida, which if you have a chance to visit, you should. It's an amazing place to be. If you want to hear a lot more about this disaster, you can actually check out episode 116 of liftoff it's my space podcast here on relay fm that i co-host with jason snell we did a much deeper dive into this on 116 there's a lot more here than what we have time for on ungenius so go check that out if you want to read more about it links are on our website at relay.fm slash ungenius slash 121 while you're there you can send us an email with your own favorite weird Wikipedia topic, and it'll go on our list. You can also become a member and support the show directly. You can find us online. The show is at Ungenius. You can find Mike there as I-M-Y-K-E, and you can follow me on Twitter as ISMH. Until next time, Mike, say goodbye. Goodbye. Bye, y'all.